0: Welcome to Humanity Evolve with your host, Catherine Kalarko. This program will bring your life, family, and community together by focusing on the new technologies and innovations that define your world in an open and relaxed forum of ideas and discussion. Now, here is Katherine Calarco.
1: Welcome to Humanity Evolved. This is Catherine Clarico, and it's super exciting to be with you again this today, this wonderful day, wherever you are. Today is an exciting show. I, we are talking about creating uh, the the sort of like the how do we do women in investment to create exponential growth. We really want to talk about how, as women, we add profit, outcomes, the best results, you know, having women involved and in investment does create exponential growth. And the amazing person I have today to talk with me about this is Sharon Vosmek. Sharon and I have known each other for many years. One of the after returning from uh, MIT, I came back to California, and one of the first things I got involved with was what was called at the time the Women's Technology Cluster, and now it's called Astia, and it was rebranded under Sharon's guidance. And Sharon is, is an amazing person. Um, she is constantly effective, is an inspiring leader, uh, really champions women, it, it knows how to cut through and understand what uh, incubated or venture needs, Um, how to grow companies, how to uh, engage a community of investors and entrepreneurs and families and and leaders to really create an economic growth. And part of this was really demonstrated in the fact that she transformed Astia during her tenure as CEO since 2007. Astia is now the preeminent organization working to ensure the success of high-growth startups founded and led by women. So the growth over the 20 years has basically gone from being a global to a global community of more than 5000 investors entrepreneurs and Sharon is not only does this but she's involved around the world uh, she's very active as a sought after speaker she recently spoke at the United Nations at the Milken Institute in the California Summit and several universities she's a board of advisors to two leading VC firms And so much more. Uh, Sharon, welcome to the show. uh, How do you have time for all this? And please tell us a little bit more about your background, because I know there's so much more to say.
2: I am so pleased to be here today, Catherine. I, of course, will make time anytime someone like you, one of the Astia community members and and such substantial contributors to our mission. When you call on me, I'm here. So I absolutely (laughs) 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 am here for you. And uh, you're right. Things are busy. It's a great time to be investing in inclusive teams. And, and we're certainly feeling uh, that our 15 year foundation of, of running programs and ecosystems and communities has really positioned us well for this opportunity.
1: Yeah, and you guys actually went from uh, really uh, mentoring or providing educational programs for entrepreneurs to ready them for for investment. And now you're actually taking more of an investment arm, correct? Now, Astia Ventures was launched.
2: Yeah. And you,
1: yeah. yeah uh, and uh, so how many offices do you uh, – tell us a little bit about that and, and, and how is that working around the world?
2: Sure. Well, let me let me start with why we even embarked upon investing. Um, we were founded, as you said, years ago in 1999 by a woman named Kate Muther, and she did a fantastic job of setting up the Women's Technology Cluster as a resource for companies that were led by women. Yeah. Um, it was uh, facilities with a program and a great community around it. But over the years, and specifically we hit our 10-year anniversary, we took a look at the market and discovered that as it related to investment, The market had not moved in that entire 10 years. When Mm. we were founded, 2% of venture capital was being invested in women CEOs, and at our 10-year mark, it was the same 2%. And it was ridiculous. We decided that it was ridiculous. And the beautiful (laughs) part about the Astia community is that it does not sit silent when uh, things need to change. One of our community members, Amy Gipps, actually came to the Astia offices one day and said, Astia needs to launch Astia Angels, and needs to uh, embark upon investment pl- platform of its own because the market is not moving. Right. The board promptly picked up her, her charge, and we launched in 2013 Astia Angels, uh, Astia Fund, and we also have um, some Astia private placement work. All of it with the very specific focus on investment activity into companies at all stages, that have women in a position of equity and influence.
1: Hmm. And so you you, de- you decided to get into this because of the 2% investment challenge, that there really wasn't enough money being invested in women-led and women-founded organizations. What are you seeing now? Are you seeing uh, uh, this attracting more funds and, and you actually are seeing a successful rise in the amount of ventures that you're able to fund now through this
2: uh, vehicle? Yeah, well, you know, it's a mixed bag of goods. So let me give you the good news. The good news is we're incredibly active. Astia Angels just today wired funds for our 46th company in the portfolio. Um, That's investment number 66 because we actually do do follow-on investing. So it's a very active angel group. It has uh, fewer than 60 members, but we're averaging uh, two investments a month. And we have Jeez. a beautiful portfolio of companies across all of the sectors of high growth. So we have tech, we have uh, life science, med device, health and wellness, consumer and clean tech. Yeah. And um, what we're really pleased is about is that these companies are uh, truly exceptional and market leaders. And our angels are very much uh, enjoying investing in these companies and seeing the result. We actually also just had our first exit, uh, CL yeah. Medical one of our medical device companies was just acquired um, by a, a, a privately held company, and it was an, a beautiful exit for our investors, a beautiful exit for the entrepreneur who will uh, help drive that technology to market. Um, but really, that's our exciting story. And and sadly, it's our own story. As we look at the broader market, venture is still not investing in women and minorities. And if you're a woman minority, it's even worse. Mm. um And, uh, you know, we have some theories for why that is. But for now, I'll just say, uh, as part of this conversation, that um, we remain optimistic. Uh, We do see robust conversation about the need to invest in inclusive teams. But when it comes to the actual numbers, we have not yet seen the broader market move. Uh, But we're not waiting for it. As I mentioned, we've got our investments happening. And we've managed to take our own, you know, money and leverage it. So we have, while our own investments are only... uh, I shouldn't say only, but we've invested over 15 million of our own assets. We've been able to leverage that so that we've attracted more than 138 million in syndicate investment with us. So wow, we intend to fantastic. move the bar.
1: So you're actually pulling the market towards the direction and in a way providing a curated experience for those who maybe are uh, not experienced or feel like there's a difference for some reason. You know, like they, they, it's like they invest in what they know and who they are and therefore it's reflective of the venture community itself it being not enough uh, inclusive representation. So therefore it's a mirror. You know, and I, and I think I applaud you for, for moving the bar and, and taking a lead out and pulling people along with you because your, your success is only going to inspire more more to be involved. Um, so, it, you know, I remember when we were going through the recession and there was times where, you know, there was the talking about how women-led businesses were actually driving economic growth even in times of challenge. And I wondered sort of your background on how you brought this to be such a the leading organization. How did you get into it? What was the reason then? What motivated you to to be to take up this uh, challenge and move the women's uh, entrepreneurship forward?
2: Well, my background is actually public policy and um, economics, and and very specifically had taken a look at women's participation in markets outside of the U.S. I had originally studied uh, sub-Saharan Africa. I thought I would end up working somewhere on that continent, uh, working to ensure women's participation in those economies. Right. But shortly after graduate school, two key things happened in my life. One was that I was at a great dinner party. Um, It was a Mother Jones dinner party. And I was seated between Kate Muther, who was the founder of Bastia, and Anita Roddick, who was the founder of The Body Shop. And during that dinner, I don't think I had much to say, but I had much to listen to. And the two of them had a phenomenal conversation about what was then the Women's Technology Cluster, what it was seeking to do. Anita spoke very frankly about her challenges in raising capital for the body shop. Kate spoke very frankly about her observations of Silicon Valley. And I sat there as the walk in between them, just soaking it up. And really, um, I was struck by a a number of things. One was that these two very accomplished women saw a a very clear problem or opportunity. And number two, I was struck by the fact that these two very accomplished women had experienced it themselves. Mm. Uh, So if someone that accomplished could be experiencing hurdles or barriers, uh, I wondered more and I wanted to learn more. And, um, personally, in parallel to that, I happened to be dating a gentleman who I'm now married to, 22 years. Thank you very much. (laughs) He's
1: (laughs) lovely, by the way, everyone.
2: (laughs) Tim's a good person. Tim is a really good soul. And he was very generous with me in our relationship in that at the time we were dating, he was at a small company that I thought was just silly. And that small company was innovating and he believed he was changing the world. And I, I watched that journey of his first startup experience, which was Netscape, go from a few guys who who knew each other to this really exciting uh, innovation, making it to market and really succeeding. What I was struck by there in, in their journey and their story is they, interestingly, at Netscape had great women in engineering, in executive roles, but they seemed to be the exception to the story of what was happening broadly in Silicon Valley. So I actually got pulled in both through that dinner conversation with Anita and Kate and then through my own life journey as I watched my husband and his career trajectory um, and certainly his entrepreneurial journey uh, become become what what essentially Silicon Valley is today. We went from Netscape, which I believe at least had 30% women in engineering, if, if if not more, Hmm. to most companies my husband goes to now, once again, are male-dominated. And and this is a fairly new phenomenon. We have so many men uh, dominating what is the venture community here in Silicon Valley.
1: Right, right. And and so for you, it was like this sort of inspirational opportunity. I mean, you leaped into it because of the... What well, you're almost presented with the what is the problem and then you saw it through what was going on with your with your with Tim's company. Now, where, in that essence, did you did was Asti a part of that or were you already doing sort of mentoring and and development with women and already?
2: So I was I was still fairly academic in my work around women and uh, entrepreneurship, and I was in learning mode. And so right. I actually approached Astia not to mentor or, or become part of the mentor community. I approached it as someone to learn from Kate about what she was finding and and apply where I could any of my academic learnings to the the solutions being afforded at the Women's Technology Cluster. Yeah. What I was most uh, what happened that was most unexpected was almost everything that we learned about microenterprise and microlending uh, in my graduate studies as it related to sub-Saharan Africa actually translated beautifully uh, to Astia. <laughs> and exactly. what I mean by that is we had learned that microlending worked for women. That there was a community component that came with the lending. The community evaluated the loans. The community then backed up that entrepreneur and and supported that entrepreneur and provided resources. And the community ultimately was part of the entrepreneur's story and success. And we applied many of those learnings to Astia in my early days. When when I joined, I, I finally joined the executive team in 2005. And um, under the leadership of then CEO Jennifer McFarlane, Mm -hmm. what I feel I brought to the table was an ability to see that the hurdles that existed had less to do with the women and more to do with the community that we surrounded those women with. And, And that is what ASIA is today.
1: Huh. And so, when you talk about that, because interesting enough, I think I joined in two thousand six, two thousand seven, just just about the same, about a year or so after that. Um, sort of, the, I saw the progression. When I joined, it was a, lo- a very much about how we can get true honest advice and give the women entrepreneurs a better than equal chance, you know, so give them the tools that they need and have them go through the boot camp or education program. So how, how has this changed or has it just further developed in terms of the community being more comprehensive? So what's
2: Yeah, Astia, yeah. yeah, as you point out, has evolved over the years, and it's evolved yeah. for two reasons. One is to make sure that whatever we're providing is what's truly needed, and we yeah. measure that by you know, market metrics. And then the other thing is that we always want to know that we're solving a part of the problem that no one else is. Mm. So one of the reasons we don't do our boot camps anymore yeah. is a lot of other people are, quite yeah. honestly, and yeah. uh, they're doing them well. And you know organizations like Springboard are out there and Women 2.0, so, and there are, there are mechanisms for women to get training and to get um, grounded in their entrepreneurial journey. Where the hurdle still exists for women, and where the fundamental gap is is funding. And mm-hmm. from our lens, no one was directly addressing that. So we evolved to a focus on funding because we saw that it was needed. Right. And then equally, because as we were watching our really exceptional entrepreneurs, and you know because you worked yeah. with them for right. years, they continued to thrive almost in spite of the lack of funding. Hmm. And, um, and they continued to be market leaders and, and employ people and drive innovation to market. Um, but it wasn't because we had fixed them. It was because something in the market uh, welcomed them. And so mm-hmm. our advisor's role became less about the guidance they were giving and more about the access they right. were providing. Right. Um, and, and today, as you, you've seen, that is our really substantial contribution to the market is we have redesigned the ecosystem to include women, to work for women, and the beautiful part is it works that easily. When you connect right. men and women and have them do business together, you, you solve for investment, customers, all of the barriers.
1: Hmm. And so is that sort of the access is where you get the most market power is is really creating a, a network that smooths the path for you?
2: Yeah, we like to say that we stopped fixing women. And focused on fixing the ecosystem
1: <laughs> exactly at least providing them with an onboarding that makes it that ensures their greater success you know and it has and for you what is what's been and we've only got a couple minutes to, before the break but really would love to know for you what has been the most exciting or is there a story that really exemplifies sort of the passion and the outcomes that you've achieved with what you're the work you're doing
2: To me, the most exciting stories are those entrepreneur stories. You know, I was talking to Kate Garrett, the CEO of Seal Medical that just had her exit. And as I listened to her journey, her largest investor was her grandmother. Her company is a medical device company, a very sophisticated medical device company that, uh, you know, had to raise capital in unusual ways. And she she won. She succeeded. And and her product is making it to market.
1: I know that's so exciting I saw the press release and I went woohoo <laughs> it was a really good company and really good people involved in it so so I think you know and and to realize that you're a big part of that you know that that you actually helped to facilitate that exit are there others that don't you know we maybe when we come back after the break we'll talk a little bit about some of these additional examples and what is the process for in, that you're that engages this inclusive team to be successful what are some of the the key uh, areas that um, women or anyone needs to learn during the process and two, how to actually engage with your network more effectively to enable uh, sales and to achieve these exits. So we're going to come back after the break and do a little bit deeper dive in some of the experiences and share some of the knowledge and wisdom that Sharon has seen uh, through the years and in with all these different companies and through the angel network and also through astia.org. So we're looking forward to coming back after the break. Stay tuned because there's going to be some very insightful information. I hope you get a few takeaways from this. Uh, This is Catherine Calarco on humanity evolve. We'll be right back after the break.
0: This is Humanity Evolve with Catherine Calarco. To reach our show today, please call in to 1-866-613-1612. Again, that's 1-866-613-1612. Or you may send an email to info at ccalarco.com. Now, back to Humanity Evolve.
1: We're back. This is Catherine Kalarko and Sharon Vosmek is our guest today. She's the CEO of ASTIA, A-S-T-I-A dot org. Check it out. Just before the break, we were talking about uh, success stories and women entrepreneurs who have achieved and some of the things that uh, Sharon has really personally, the reason why she's actually got into this and the successes that she's seen and things that she loves and enjoys. So now we're going to kind of dive into a bit more about what is the process, you know? Um, if you're, to my listeners out there, are, do you want to grow your business? Are you a woman entrepreneur or working with women leaders? Do you want to mentor, advise women-led organizations? And what does that truly mean? So, Sharon, tell us a little bit about the, the lessons that you've learned and, and, and the nuggets of gold that you've come across with regard to the process that Astia takes entrepreneurs through.
2: Yeah, and before the break, I mentioned a little bit that we've evolved as an organization, always trying to be responsive to both the market and to what we see works. And one of our key learnings along our journey was that when women were being mentored, uh, the mentor-mentee relationship often encumbered or, or became encumbersome to the entrepreneurial journey. When we switched to advisor relationships, we saw a world of opportunities open. And and one of the best examples is around funding. Hmm. It is uh, often said by VCs that they like to mentor companies and and then invest in them. And what we found is that they actually do that with men. But with women who they mentor, they tend to not invest. But Hmm. if they advise a woman, and the word advice, is one of the words. Another word is sponsor They not only will mentor, but they will also invest. And overnight, our funding success rate for companies went through the roof just by switching from a model of mentoring companies or fixing those women to one of advising. One that's more based on the evolution of a relationship, that it has different. Needs and different mechanisms as an entrepreneur grows. Day one, it may be teaching the entrepreneur about the, the specific milestones associated with high-growth entrepreneurship. But once that's learned and once the entrepreneur progresses through those milestones, then the relationships evolves to invest an investment one. And ideally, investment flows, uh, customer transactions flow. We really want our community, our ASTI advisors, doing business with these companies, not just mentoring but actually advising and progressing the relationship all the way to success, whatever that success looks like. Hmm.
1: So you changed the relationship. Is that what actually happened and that changed the outcomes?
2: We changed the relationship. We changed the word. We learned that words matter. Um, We changed from being programmatic to being bespoke. So we call our advisor introductions just-in-time advisor introductions. Companies have different needs at different times based upon different sectors and different geographies, and we work very hard to make sure that the advisors at Astia are being connected to companies where they can be helpful now and in this specific instance, not generally and not broadly, but really deep and personalised
1: right right it almost means that it, it, the it's like an advisory board to a to an organization you now you have an advisory board to you and to your and to the venture in order to and it isn't uh, having been part of this advisor network the companies that I've talked with have been the information has mainly been around who do I know and access to funds and reviewing pitch decks and you know kind of getting involved in in a you, you've got a Friend, you've got a friend, you know what I mean? You have mm-hmm. someone who knows and cares. And I think these women are often looking for people that have their back. And mm-hmm. also have knowledge and access that they need. They often know what they want to do, so they don't want to be stymied. They wanna be they wanna be empowered. And uh and, and they have specific questions about what they're trying to learn. And each of the CEOs or founders that I've talked to have been very open to advice. You know, even mm-hmm. if they don't take it, they're very open to it. Or when they do take it, they're very proactive and appreciative. You know, they immediately okay. follow up, right?
2: Exactly. And you're highlighting one of the, the foundations of Astia. You know, we, we actually started the community with a core set of values. We right. value the entrepreneur, we value women as leaders, and we value the give back. And the generosity that we see coming out of the Astia advisors is, is huge. And mm-hmm. it's only matched by the generosity we subsequently see from the entrepreneurs. I think it's a different way of doing business. Uh, when, when we read in the press all of the hardships facing organizations like Uber right now that are struggling to identify their values when they're a 13,000-person yeah. organization. Exactly. We actually very early on as a very small organization said what are our values? And I think what we've baked in is a model that's a way of doing business that includes these fundamental values and also includes investment activity. And and we know it works. We see the performance within our own portfolio. Um, And we see it more broadly in the market when measured uh, as compared to women, excuse me, male only firms, uh, firms that include women outperform again and again, both for their investors and their customers and for the economy. They employ more people. So all the way around, this is good business practice built on a solid set of values.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the facts and the data is 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 out there and available to people. We're going to talk a little bit more about that because I think it's important that people know that this is uh, profoundly impacts the viability, profitability, customer reach, and long-term sustainability and growth of businesses is to be inclusive. One of the um, areas I work at Spire, and we're rapidly growing, and one of the key things uh, we did at the ver- it was to establish the value right what are, what's our mission and what are we set on and 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 it helps to guide the decisions and how we grow and who we hire and how we sustain this culture of authenticity and and uh, innovation beyond into the future years so it carries that carries that feeling and that energy and that uh, that sort of HR strategy with us so the culture uh, empowers us rather than something you've got to figure out later because it goes wrong right so it's really important to establish those um, constructs in the early days of the company.
2: Well, and I find that at least as it relates to gender and race, we continue to lose ourselves in how we ask the questions. Mm. Instead of asking, how do we level the playing field for these individuals who are currently excluded? Uh, we, We tend to ask questions about how can we how can we fix women? Right? what What kind of leadership program can we run for women, or what kind of <laughs> mentoring yeah. can we do for women? and i I really like that we value fixing the playing field. Right. That we actually acknowledge that the playing field wasn't set up for everyone. And so we shouldn't require that everyone conform to it. instead, let's let's change the playing field so that it includes women and men because uh, we haven't even touched on the importance of men in the Aztec yeah. community. We could not do it without them. And you've seen that, Catherine. I they have, show absolutely. up, they validate, they write yep. checks. You know, yep. they're deeply engaged, and that is critical to the change.
1: Right, exactly. So talk a bit about more about leveling the playing field. You know, you 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 have uh, development programs that provide inclusive teams and in their ventures with unparalleled access. So mm-hmm. and advise through all the stages of growth. So Talk a little bit more about what that looks like and and, and the processes that it, uh, Asti employs across that.
2: So an example of lane, leveling the playing field is that we always take a look at data. And one of the things that we have seen time and again through various Harvard and MIT studies is that all other things being equal, uh, a male and a female presenting the same business plan, the male is 60 plus percent more likely to secure funding than the female, right? Mm-hmm. And that's even with cases like the Heidi Roizen business case. If you, if you don't know Heidi Roizen's name, Google her. But, you know, yeah. the, the, her business case was taught as Howard Roizen and Heidi Roizen, right? And, and time and again, Howard secured funding and Heidi did not in, in the mock scenarios. And, and this has been shown, you know, so it's not even debatable. Everyone agrees this exists. Yeah, so right. we looked at well, how do we change that? And we've put in some, some elements within Astia that help create uh, gender blindness. Uh, an example is our industry screeners actually aren't told much about the founders of the companies. They are there to help us assess the business. right? And they're given information about the business. And often we get complaints. Hey, you haven't told me enough about the team. There's a reason for that. We mm-hmm. actually have learned that For certain stages in screening, not all, and I'm not talking about deep dive due diligence. I'm talking about that initial initial barrier that women experience. We remove it by Mm -hmm. not giving much information to our advisors who are sifting at that stage of the Astia expert sift.
1: Right, And the
2: the learnings like that um, go all the way through to investment. So another learning we had on the investment side is that until entrepreneurs and investors get into a trusted space, Capital does not flow. And that trusted space can have many forms. It can be over a beer. The investor says, hey, I really like this person. I trust this person. I see myself in this person. It can happen in the office. Hey, I like this person. I see myself in this person. Um, But more often than not, it doesn't happen across gender. So we've sought ways to put men and women into those trusted business spaces early and often so that by the time capital is being raised by the invest, uh, from the investor, the entrepreneur investor have reached a level of trust that allows for capital capital to flow. We're not relying on the pitch session or the the demo or right. the on stage moment for right. that investment to flow because we know it doesn't happen for women in that way. Right. How it happens is in a much more I'm going to use the word intimate, and I mean it in the business context, a much more trusted environment, a place where the men and women actually know each other and are ready to contemplate investment because they trust each other.
1: Hmm. It's very interesting because trust is a big component in success of teams and entrepreneurial organizations and within each other and within the their their ecosystem themselves. So tell me a little bit about how you build that trust. What are some of the activities to kind of connect the entrepreneurs with with their male network, their, within their network? How do you build that?
2: Well, one of the very simple things we did was by calling all of our mentors, ASTI advisors, we, mm-hmm. to some degree, co-opted them as individuals, right? <laughs> yeah. we, we said, you are Astia. <laughs> yeah. <You're> and <laughs> that means that when I'm an Astia entrepreneur and I show up and you're an Astia advisor, there is an immediate relationship. We're both right. Astia. Right. Um, similarly, Astia Angels is very specifically named Astia Angels. The fund is Astia Fund. The word Astia has come to represent the relationship as much as anything else. Yeah, And so, for example, next week, I'm on my way to Dublin to go to a conference that we go to every year. It's called Mm InspireFest. And Astia community members come there. They join us. We've invested in our first company in Dublin as a result of these relationships. But it all happens on the back of this ability to very quickly navigate to trusted space. And how we do that? We show up as Astia. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're attending a conference called InspireFest, but it's Astia at InspireFest. And you mm. as an ASTIA advisor are invited. And you as an ASTIA entrepreneur are invited. And you as an ASTIA investor are invited. Mm. We create the t- the trusted space truly just through brand extension and reputation extension. And what it means is we hold very dearly the generosity that we've received from advisors and entrepreneurs and investors who will align with us.
1: So. Yeah so I mean that's that's amazing it's almost like you created the platform the the ecosystem as as an operational philosophy so that by engaging in this network you already have signed up for the values of the organization so there therefore the trust filter or the yep. trust enablement has actually happened because of the way we've constructed it
2: Exactly, and we borrowed this actually from alumni organizations. Right. So if you're an MIT alum exactly. and you run into an MIT alum in in Dublin, you have a beer, right? Right. You can, right, <laughs> Johnny, right. And you have that trusted conversation, whatever it is. I know. Um, that's all we do is we yeah. take that alumni model and we extend it for entrepreneurs who happen to also be women. And, you know, I, I get goosebumps when I think about the power of this. Soapbox Labs is our first uh, dub Irish investment. We hope to have more. But we have not a single Asti Angels member in Ireland, but um, we have funds that we've invested in a con- country that we believe in because yeah. of these relationships and our ability to navigate through Asti advisors and Asti wow. entrepreneurs and Asti investors into a different market.
1: That's it's incredibly, incredibly interesting, and it just using the the existing global community to uh, proceed in an area where you don't have the same you know network effect locally, um, and and if if someone's not involved in in Astia, you know how do you bridge that outside? Because sometimes you know they, they a lot of these companies will get funds that are not Astia or or may not their 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 future trajectory may not be as close. I mean, how do they take that? Beyond the community out into other other organizations and, and other partners.
2: Well, we work very hard to be a good person in the ecosystem. And I right. say person, but I mean ask the other person. You yeah. know, we want to present term sheets that don't mess up entrepreneurs with for future investment. And we right. want to present relationships that can be shared. And, and so a good example is we have an investment in our portfolio. Uh, Sally Krawcheck's the CEO. We invested at the seed stage. She's now raising her Series A. And uh, just this morning, we were talking with Sally and I was really pleased when she started her comments by uh, thanking the ASTI Angels for how many introductions have been made, for how much we've extended our reach to our peer investors out there, um, that we have done our best to open doors well beyond ourselves to, to others who should be investing in a, what is a very exciting company. Um, and we see that as part of, our, part of our work, that bridging well beyond ourselves to the broader ecosystem that exists for entrepreneurs, uh, be they funders or customers or other support systems.
1: Right, you kind of give them the fuel. You know, you you create the the trusted network that kind of gets them out of, you know, incubates, they incubate themselves out of that. And then they carry that Positive foundation into their future relationships. So in fact, a little bit like you know hiring a graduate from a, se- a specific a specific school, they come with these set a set of values or expectations or understandings and things like that. So you actually have that. I mean, one of the, just quickly one of the stories I remember from uh, the MIT was, man, if you ever need, you know, the old days they had barn raisings. You know, if you needed, if you had an emergency, you know, you could activate the phone tree and people will show up for you you know they will they were literally like they used to at the entrepreneurship center they'd everybody say hey if an entrepreneur needed you to put you to buy lunch because their company failed would any of you do that and everybody raises their hand they said okay if you're in in trouble you have food for a year you know it's like it's like that's the way to treat it you know like there's people do want to help each other succeed and lift all boats and so uh, so in in if in that aspect what i mean we're just going to head into the break is there something about this network that you would uh, that they the entrepreneurs take away with them that these women really go okay this has really made a difference for me
2: yeah and you know I actually wanted to riff on what you were saying earlier about the the barn raising so yeah that is absolutely what we do there is nothing we do at Astia that's very um uh novel Quite honestly, we just yeah. have perfected this method of how do you, how do you create a set of values in the community that can on-ramp people and relationships and, and turn into successful transactions. So I think it's, you know, it, instead of starting with the transaction like so many right. organizations do, right. we start with the relationships, the yeah. values, and it just translates broadly and very powerfully across portfolio companies. They are extremely generous with each other. They do business together. Across investor communities, we have our investors are truly global. We have North American, we have European, we now have our first Australian members. You know, we really believe that you can do this globally. And you yeah. can do it very effectively through the extension of relationships. So I just it's, love that you mentioned the barn burning. Uh, yeah, this is exactly. barn raising, not barn, barn burning. Barn raising, Barn raising, barn
1: raising. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, barn, barn raising. burning. Oh my gosh, yeah. we got that wrong. So, <laughs> barn raising after it burns down. So, the idea is that we are going to raise some barns. So, here, we're going to come back after the break. This is Catherine Calarco with Humanity Evolve. We're talking to Sharon Vosmak, the CEO of Astia. Come back and learn all the data and how to raise your own barn all right we'll be back after the break
3: are you finding your frequency it can be described as that space between failure and success it's the future of digital media it's finding your voice it's engaging topics content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: This is Humanity Evolve with Catherine Calarco. To reach our show today, please call in to 1-866-613-1612. Again, that's 1-866-613-1612. Or you may send an email to info at ccalarco.com. Now, back to Humanity Evolve.
1: Welcome back. This is Catherine Kalarka with Sharon Vosmak from C- the CEO of Astia. We are talking about entrepreneurs, women leaders, and inclusive teams, and how to increase their access to capital and advise them through all the stages of growth through to exit. And one of the fun things that we were talking about before the break was about. Barn raising and how really this is about a community coming together to share their skills and help you raise a barn. And this is a very old analogy, an old story or example of you know when uh, when people were settling the, the West, they they or then there maybe their barn burned down or they needed to build. They all the neighbors came around and got together and there was a party and you just put the barn together. Now uh, <laughs> and I think these days we need more of that. And so this is what your network and your community and making the ecosystem easier is all about and how each of us can be involved in that. So, you know, is there anything that you want to add to that, sort of the concept of barn raising?
2: Yeah, well, I was going to highlight that it actually, this stuff that we do at Astia, this stuff of barn building, um, is not unique to women. It works for men and women. And I think that that's something that's really important I think it certainly honors women for our unique social relationships. I do think women are still raised differently than men. So, so all other things being equal, we still have some sociological differences that, that we have to be thoughtful about when we're building community models or models where we want women and minorities included. And I just think that this work should not be made any more complex than it right. needs to be. And at its basic at its most um, fundamental, it is how do you build meaningful relationships between people and right. have those relationships flow across gender, across race, across all of those elements that we struggle with. You know, Politically, we don't have women in representation at the numbers that they should be. In right. boards, we don't see women at the numbers that they should be. And all the way down and through the business ecosystem, women and minorities are sorely underrepresented. And I think if more organizations focused on building a model that worked for both and for all and worked for inclusion rather than coaching, mentoring and fixing those women and minorities, I think that we'd see a lot more success for women and minorities within business and politics and the like. Mm.
1: That's great. I mean, I like that concept and the process that you're actually engaged with and modeling for other people so they can adopt it. So you, you mentioned things a bit about the data and the numbers, that you're very number mm-hmm. driven. I'm very interested in learning a little bit more about the data that shows the outcomes associated with this these strategies and this investment and also the impact of, of inclusiveness on organizational growth and success.
2: Yep. And I actually like both the numbers and then I like the spec- underlying specifics so yeah. some of the things that that really excite me on the numbers are you know women are we all know this, half the population. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> and then we're half the college educated and we're more than half the PhDs, especially when you look at the life science side of PhDs. And right. we're half the law degrees and half of the MDs and, and nearly half of the MBAs. So the numbers as it relates to opportunity are huge. We're talking about a, a largely untapped, underinvested opportunity. Right. Um, And then when we translate it to the innovation economy, there are some interesting numbers that that get me excited about our solutions. Um, One is that we are seeing a growth in investment on the angel side into women and minority-led companies. Hmm. So angel investors are tuning in to the opportunity, I think, as much because there are women and minority angels as anything else. But suffice it to say, something interesting is happening. We are seeing growth there. On the entrepreneur side, we're seeing more and more women starting innovation companies. I mean, women have always been entrepreneurial. Right, exactly. Uh, but historically, we have started uh, smaller businesses um, and, and businesses that didn't require outside capital for, for various reasons, not the least of which is access. Right. Uh, but we are seeing an uptick and a rise in women creating and pursuing innovation-based startups, and we're excited by those numbers. And then, as it relates to the results, we continue to see that women-led firms uh, provide more employment opportunities. They, for less capital, employ more people. They run hmm. their businesses more efficiently, and subsequently, for the investor, what that means is a higher return on investment. Right. Um, you know, the the capital they do receive has to be used, and 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 uh, shepherded very carefully because next funding is no easier than, than prior funding. And and so we see that ultimately the return that these entrepreneurs have for their investors is higher. And then the other and really interesting thing that, that we're seeing in the market is that this, this notion of inclusion, that including women changes business dynamics, is good not just For the women or for society, it's good for business. Our customers see better results. Uh, The the interesting uh, engagement of inclusive teams results in products that better reflect the customer's needs and customer's demands. And then drilling down to the very personal level, what we see is that women, while they are present in only about 25% of the patents filed, interestingly... There are women present in 75% of the patents that are ultimately commercialized. What that tells us is that the innovation we're creating is needed in the market. We're disproportionately represented as innovators that have commercialized products. And this is really good and juicy stuff for us at the numbers level. And it's why we continue to see this investment thesis, this investment thesis of Only investing in teams that are inclusive is a worthy investment thesis from an investor lens alone.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's a very important point. Is the sense of is your company reflective of the your customer base, right? And and innovative ideas come from the intersection and different views than maybe your own. So that you need this diversity of, of thought, diversity of of individuals, diversity of experience to almost create the innovation and succeed at it. You know, it's sort of the IDEO approach of design, right? Or when and In, uh, Indra Nui from uh, the CEO of PepsiCo, when she talks about, you know, inclusion and diversity as you have to be reflective of who your population base is. So you, it has to be a mirror of who you are. So you're talking to them from a, sta- a knowledge, you know, a beingness. And I think that's a very important aspect of all this Is is the is to tap into that collective intelligence, enable diversity to create a better environment for the innovation to be fostered from. And two, allow the talents of the different diverse individuals to uh, strengthen the company itself. You know every, everyone's better because you have that shared vision and values, but you've also got diversity that helps you to be stronger and and think of things that you may not have thought yourself.
2: And look, you know, there are still uh, really present things in society that we should never underestimate because uh, they are enduring. They're hard to fix. Yeah. And they're hard to change. And one of my favorite examples, I'm going to go down to the anecdotal level now, which is we have a company. It was actually the Angels' first investment, and it's called Envision Medical. Mm-hmm. And small little letter N and then the word vision. And vision is a medical device company that has specifically chosen uh, to focus on um, diagnosing cervical cancer. It is a medical device for the scraping of cells within the um, uterus and within the fallopian tubes. And, and it's a it's a really exciting company led by an amazing CEO, Servi Sarna. And I'll just never forget some of the comments that were thrown her way, and I do say thrown her way, by male investors. Mm. Um, you know, everything from being grossed out by her slide that had a visual that included the fallopian tubes, and, uh, you know, all the way to, hey, I'll have to go home and ask my wife because I'm not really sure that this isn't a niche market. Thinking about women as a <laughs> niche market, that's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, so, you know, we, we shouldn't ever underestimate how hard that is. Interestingly, once again, at the anecdotal level, we have another company called Zenflow that specifically targets uh, helping men who are having uh, enlarged prostate issues and, and urinary tract issues. And no one has ever in any of those presentations asked if they're serving a niche market and yet their product is only for men. I just find that very interesting as, as a observational right. difference that we've seen. Right. But my but my larger point I think is is that Envision Zenflow they all deserve a chance to succeed. And what's exciting as we look at the investor base in both Envision and Zenflow is that we have men and women who have invested in those companies. Men and women who might not have prior to their exposure via Astia Angels invested together. And invested Mm -hmm. together in an innovation that otherwise might have struggled. Um, In the case of Zenflow, the CEO is a male and the CTO is a female. In the case Mm -hmm. of Envision, the CEO is a female. Their journey is quite similar, but for this gender construct that society continues to be stuck on. um, (laughs) But, you know, what's great is it's all solvable, curable, knowable, discoverable stuff. And and at ASEA, we've managed to ensure that both can succeed equally.
1: Congratulations. I mean, that's so important. And it's not about being overly political correct. It's actually about honoring what you're doing and being aware of your biases. And really to em- employ a mindfulness technique or some aspect to really understand where your biases show up that prevent you from seeing the truth of the opportunity or the business itself. And I, I think, I, I, you know, I, I have my whole life obviously I've been a woman and I really have never seen it or I ignore it right I just don't I just don't engage in it and I was lucky enough to be raised in a family that was very inclusive and very understanding but even Throughout my life, you have to always be aware of your own biases and how you're judging something and really just to pause and look a little deeper or take your blinders off and listen first. And then by that time, you can evaluate whether this is a viable opportunity, this team is going to make it. Uh, There's lots of different options, but don't let the biases get in the way of a great business and and entrepreneurial uh, uh, venture.
2: And I always challenge people to look at your network. Even yeah. if you have no hidden bias, it, right. it will manifest in your network. If you're a woman, you'll have predominantly a female network. If you're a male, you'll have predominantly male. So our call to action is, number one, everyone should be looking at their network and for mechanisms to engage a broader yeah. and more inclusive network. Investors, entrepreneurs, people who have industry experience were a place where we value you participating and, and finding a way to become engaged.
1: Awesome. And we are running out of time. I can't, we could talk for hours, Sharon. You're an amazing person. And I, I love every time we're together, it's like, you know, it is like an alumni. So please, if you're out there, connect with her. Connect with Sharon via astia.org. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're an investor who wants to invest in inclusive businesses, or you want to be part of the Astia Advisor Network, please connect
2: with Sharon. Sharon, how can they do that? We've only got maybe 30 seconds left. Let's feel free to throw out my email address. I'm at Sharon at Astia.org, S-H-A-R-O-N at Astia.org. And I actually am not afraid of giving that out because I don't want to miss any opportunities. No opportunities are too small, too big. Uh, I look forward to hearing from many of you.
1: Awesome. Now that is a huge gift to my network here. So please take advantage of that and, and engage with astia.org. This has been an un- another amazing show. Thank you so much, Sharon, for being here. This is Catherine Kalarko on Humanity Evolve with Sharon Vosnick, who's just given out her email address, and we hope to hear from you soon.
2: Thank you so much, Catherine. <laughs>
0: Thank you for joining Catherine Calarco for this week's edition of Humanity Evolve. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk again then.